Welcome to Adding Fuel to the Hire, a podcast for hiring managers and job seekers across all types of dealerships. With over 20 years collective recruitment experience, Rowan, Tony and Phil draw upon their knowledge to help you navigate through the recruitment and job hunt process. For more information, head to our website, addingfueltothehire.com. Hello and welcome to another episode of Adding Fuel to the Hire. I'm your host today, Phil, and with me, I've got Tony. How are you? I'm good. How are you? I'm good. Thank you. Um, so for, today, for today's episode, we're going to be talking about the bad stuff. Um, everything in recruitment, um, what we like to title warts and all. So um, give us a bit of an intro. What are, what are we going to be talking about? What does it even mean? Why is it important? Yeah, so warts and all, if you don't know, comes from the analogy, I suppose, of, um, you know, if, you, if someone's covered in warts, you want to talk about all of the bad stuff, um, not just the good stuff. All too often, particularly in the recruitment process, but in all types of sales processes, I suppose. Um, and it is important to understand that the recruitment process really is just a sales process. Um, yeah, too, all too often, everyone just focuses on all the positive stuff, which is, I suppose, um, natural for humans to want to do that. But um, it is really important to focus on the negative side of things, all the, all the bad stuff, as we say, um, because ultimately, if you don't, uh, particularly, you know, you use recruitment as an example, whether you're the candidate or the employer, you could find yourself two, three months in and realize that it's not a, a, the match that you thought it was going to be. And, um, you know, yeah, you might have been there or, you know, either party might have been happy for two months, but you know, after three months, you're starting again from scratch and it, it does do more damage than uh, than good in the long run. So, um, yeah, we are talking about both candidates and employers in this one. Um, I think a good place to start is probably just uh, with candidates. And there's there's a lot more bad stuff, so to speak, than what we're going to cover off on today. But we're going to cover off on, I suppose, the three major ones for each category. Um, but, uh, yeah, I'm sure there's plenty more that we've forgotten about. So the first one... Um, is employment gaps in your resume. Um, yeah, that's right. And so um, with employment gaps in your resume, look, sometimes they're just there, you know. Mm. Um, the recurring theme I think you'll see throughout this episode is that we'll um, advocate for openness and honesty. Yeah. Um, the worst thing that can happen is that you don't say anything and then um, you leave others to speculate as to why there's this gap in your employment, you know. Yeah. Were you um, made redundant or were you fired and then, you know, you just did nothing for a couple of months or, or, or whatever it is. So it's, it's easiest to just address it straight away. Uh, make sure you really get out on the front foot on this because at the end of the day, if you just give an open um, an open account of the events and just say, look, um, you know, I finished up in that role. It was just a very stressful role. I've been in it for a couple of years and I really just needed a break. Um, so I did t just take six months off Yeah, and um, I wasn't in a rush to find a new role because I was lucky enough to have saved up, saved up enough money. So um, yeah, I was really in no rush to find a new position. It wasn't that I couldn't find anything or that, you know, I had a couple of jobs where I was only there for two weeks yeah. sort of thing. So um, if you're open and honest about it, it's it's much better received than um, than the alternative. A hundred percent. And I think um, particularly from an employer's perspective and even from our perspective as a recruiter, it is natural when you're in that position to always assume the worst case scenario. And, and I think you know, that's what good recruiters and good employers will do. And you kind of, it's up to the job seeker to disprove that. And that's ultimately because they're trying to find the best person. So they want to always assume the worst and be disproven to then be able to find the best person. So if you do forget to talk about 
those gaps in your resume, then you could almost guarantee that the person on the other end is assuming the worst case scenario, which is often, oh, they were terminated and then they couldn't find another job for four or five months because no one wanted to touch them. Um, so, yeah, you, you do have to just get it out in the open, talk about it early on in the interview. Um, you touched on one already. I think a couple of the most common ones that we've see on a day-to-day basis is, you know, I didn't take a holiday for three years. So when I when I left the job, it was really stressful. I just wanted to take three or four months off. I had plenty of leave banked um, that I got paid out on. I just wanted to spend some more time with my family. Perfectly good reason. Anyone really understands that. Um, but yeah, a lot of people don't really mention it or feel like they can mention it. Yeah. Um, yeah. The other one that's a common one is looking after sick relatives. Um, you know, life happens, um, parents get terminally ill or people get diagnosed with cancer and, and life changes and, and people have to take time off work and, and look after them. Um, it, it, put it on your resume if you've got like an 18-month gap and you want to, um, you know, you, you don't want that gap to be the thing that stops you from getting a job interview. You also don't want to lie and pretend the gap's not there because it will come out eventually and you'll look dishonest. So just put on the resume, talk about it in the job interview, Um just be honest. And I think COVID is a really prime example of what we're talking about now. Huge amount of people have been made redundant. Um, the job market's obviously tougher than it's ever been before. So there's going to be a lot of people that, um, you know, are out of jobs, unfortunately, for, for six, 12 months, who knows how long it will be. Um, and they're going to have big employment gaps in their resume. So put on your resume, I was made redundant due to COVID-19 economic restrictions. Um, and job market was tough, spent this time hunting for a job. Yeah, that's right. I think that's probably one of the most common ones we've heard this year. So, um, I mean, the amount of people I've spoken to who said, oh, look, I finished up in my last role towards the end of last year. I thought mm. I'll have Christmas off and, uh, you know, a couple of weeks in January maybe, and then I'll start getting stuck back into it and find a new role. And unfortunately, COVID hit and, um, yeah, they haven't been able to find a role since. And what I think is really important, you touched on it, is to just put it on the resume. Yeah. Write on there why that gap exists. Um, account for the time. So um, your resume doesn't necessarily need to be just your employment record. It can just be a record of your life, essentially, right? So from, you know, March 2018 to November 2019, I was employed here. Mm. And from November 2019 to current, this is what I've actually been doing. You know, unfortunately, I tried to find a new role in the new year and, yeah, it just didn't work out. So still still looking at this point so the worst thing you can again as you said do is uh put uncertainty into your resume yeah exactly right and that i suppose segues us in perfectly to our next point which is just not so much employment gaps and resumes but just generally speaking redundancies or terminations so um both redundancies and terminations suck they're definitely something that people don't really like to talk about um in a job interview or even just on a resume, but um, I suppose first one, redundancy, put it on your resume straight away. Um, you know, first question anyone ever asked with a, with a resume is, oh, why did you leave this job and why did you leave that job? Yeah. Um, particularly if they're shorter stints. So if you're made redundant, chuck it on there straight away in brackets after the job. I was made redundant due to, and talk about the circumstances. Um, you know, were other people made redundant? That's a big one to bring up or when, when asked about in a, um, in a job interview. You know, myself and three other interpreters were made redundant because the, the parts department was taken offshore or moved into state to a centralised location. Um, really explain the reasoning um, and then also explain, you know, was it just your department that was restructured or was shut down or was it the whole business that was struggling financially? Paint a bit of a picture because ultimately, once again, 
employees are going to, even when they hear redundancy, they're going to assume worst case scenario. Oh, you were made redundant because, um, you know, you're working the sales team, the team wasn't getting enough sales, you were part of your job. And so they made you and a couple other people redundant. So you really do need to get on the front foot and try to explain the bigger picture. And, um, yeah, it, it can be awkward to do and hard to not do it in a way that, um, you know, it looks like you're just shifting blame to someone else in the business, but you do need to paint that picture and, and really explain, you know, the, the full extent of it. Yeah, but look, um, as you said, you know, employers always want to know why someone has left their previous positions or yeah. why they're looking to leave. And if you can say, look, if it was up to me, I'd probably still be there. Um, but due to a redundancy because of a downturn in business or um, whatever it may be, unfortunately, I'm, I'm unable to and here we are. It's a big tick. Mm. You know, it's an easy tick to say, oh, okay, well, this person doesn't actually, you know, they're sort of put in a position where they have to look for a new role. Yeah. Um, it's not really up to them anymore, unfortunately. And, um, you know, this could be someone who's really, really loyal. You know, he, he stayed mm. on, obviously. A redundancy generally doesn't come out of nowhere. Yeah, exactly. Usually you, you sort of see it coming and there's there's going to be people that'll just jump ship and say, oh, no, nah, this isn't looking too good. And then there's a few people who will just see if they can write it out. And, um, yeah, that's another thing I think to remember as well. Yeah, exactly. And I suppose goes hand in hand with redundancies is termination. This is a, a contentious point because I know it's it's feels counterintuitive to – to, uh, to do what I'm about to say, basically, but particularly in our industries that are so incestuous and interconnected and everyone knows everyone, the chances are if you've been made terminate, you made uh, terminated or you've been let go, it will get out within the industry and it will probably come back to, to bite you in the butt in one way, shape or form when you're applying for another job. Um, so it is good just to get on the front foot and if someone says, you know, why did you leave this job and you were terminated, just be honest and, and explain, you know, I was terminated. These were the reasons they gave me. But you need to try and spin it into a positive. So what have you taken away from that termination and, and how have you become a better employee since that occurred? Yeah, that's right. And try and be objective about it as well. Mm. Try and say, look, the role just wasn't really for me, to be fair. Um, you know, in hindsight, it probably wasn't the right role for me. It's uh, I had envisioned something else or, or whatever the reason was. And, um, you know, given, try, try to give an objective as possible account of the events. Um, the last thing you want to do when you were made, uh, when you were terminated mm. is to then go into a new interview and bad mouth your last oh, employer. Exactly. Yeah. That's pretty much the worst thing you can do because they go, okay, well, you're already terminated and now you're speaking ill of them. Yeah. Um, which look, I, I can understand from a, you know, personal emotional perspective. Yes. Yeah. It's not a very nice thing. Um, but try and be as objective about it as possible because um, it just shows that you've grown from it, as you said, and you've learned something from it. And, um, yeah, basically just ticks a box as to, okay, this person isn't going to do whatever happened again. Yeah, a good example is uh, a parts interpreter being terminated because they lack the um, computer skills. Um, let's say they're using um, auto IT and they really struggled with, with auto IT and they just were too slow because they came off doing um, catalogs previously and hadn't done a computer system. So, you know, I just didn't pick up the system. That was on me. I, I was just really slow. It was the first time I've used it. So they let me go on my probationary period. Um, but I left there and I went and did a couple of online courses, um, became proficient in it. And now I don't think that's ever going to happen again. I feel much more confident in my ability. So you do have to, um, yeah, put a positive spin on it, both in an interview but in just in life in general, actually try and make sure that you don't go through that again. Yeah, that's right. And look, um, I think the third and final one we might go through for candidates is the uh, the issue of flexibility. Mm. 
um, particularly around um, your working arrangements, right? So um, this can be stuff like parenting duties, right? So some parents might say, look, I really need to do the school drop-off. I really need to drop my kids off the school. Um, their school only starts at nine. Mm. And um, I, I have to drop them off because my partner picks them up in the afternoons. Yeah. Um, you know, get that out early on. Yeah. Because, you know, maybe it just doesn't work or... You know, the last thing you want to do is show up in the first week and say, oh, I actually can't start until 10. <laughs> Good start. Yep. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. It, it, you're, you're bang on. And yes, it, it will turn a lot of employers off, but ultimately those employers and you were never going to get along long term anyway. So you, you would rather annoy, you know, nine interviewers um, throughout the process that say, well, we can't accommodate that. I'm sorry. Um, but then you'll find the tenth that says, no, that's fine. You know, you can just make up for a half an hour later or, mm. you know, do a bit yeah. of work at home or, or whatever it might be. That's right, yeah. Um, and then, you know, you're going to be far more comfortable working there longer term. And the same goes again if you're going for an interview, say, in September and you've got uh, Christmas holidays booked and the business doesn't shut down over Christmas, you know, you know by the time you get the job, it might be late September, four weeks notice, late October that you kind of start maybe early November, late October. The last thing you want to do is get four weeks into your new job or even less than that and say, oh, by the way, I've, uh, I've got a three-week holiday booked for Christmas. Um, I'll just have to take that off. Yeah. It, it, yeah, it just doesn't look good. It's not a good start, not a good way to get your, you know, yourself off on the right foot. So once again, in interviews, just say, hey, I've got these dates booked. I'm sorry I can't change them. Or maybe you can change them. Who knows? Um, is this going to be a problem? I guarantee 95% of the time, it won't be a problem and people just really appreciate your honesty. Um, but, yeah, it just avoids that negative look, I suppose, when you go into a new job. Yeah, that's right. And I'd probably mention that towards the end of the interviews. Um, still in the interview process, but probably towards the end. I, I Personally, I would um, find it a bit odd if someone straight away told me, by the way, I can't work. <laughs> yep. Like, <laughs> um, that, yeah, that's something I would definitely mention, but I'd mention it um, at a point where the discussions are starting to get a little more serious. And um, at that point, it, show, it shows really good transparency as well yeah. on your end and sort of saying, look, by the way, this is me. This is, you know, this is all of me. This is what I've got. This is what I've got booked. This is when I won't be uh, won't be around. I just want to let you know so you can keep that in mind. Um, if that's a super duper busy period, maybe we need to you know, have a think about it. Yeah, exactly. Well, let's shift our focus to employers now. So, um, yeah, the, the the bad stuff from an employer's perspective and, and what they should be encouraged to get out on the front foot and talk about. So the first one and probably the most common one that never gets spoken about and that probably ends up with the most number of people quitting because of it um, is just expectations around or outside of working hours um, or even just difficult hours. Um, I've seen examples where interpreters are expected to come in on a half day on a Saturday morning, which is very common, but it never gets raised throughout the interview stages. So people take the job expecting it to be a Monday to Friday job, and then every third Saturday they've got to go in on a, on a Saturday, which a lot of people are fine by, but if you get the wrong person who, you know, whose child plays sport on a Saturday morning or something like that, where Saturdays are really important to them, uh, which, let's be honest, is quite common for most people, mm. um, it will end up, you know, biting you in the butt um, with the candidate letting re resigning or, or leaving um, yeah. pretty quickly. Yeah, that's right. I mean, you know, I've got a, a family member who works in, uh, in finance and um, when she took on her role, they basically said it was going to be, it was a part-time role mm. and uh, it was going to be two or three days a week, I think she said. And um, now she's doing a lot of weekends, um, which she wasn't told about. 
um, because it gets to end of month, you know. Yeah. And for our industries, you know, you, you, obviously if you're working in an agricultural dealership, particularly in the service department, particularly in the service department, um, during harvest, yeah, um, it's. I mean, everyone knows you're going to do big hours. You know, you're going to do 70, 80 hours, but it's still good to just mention it and say, by the way, when we do harvest, this is approximately what most of the people are doing hour-wise. Yeah, and um, you just need you need to be prepared for that, and you need to be okay with that um, because we can't have you, you know, leave during harvest where that's where we really make our money. Yeah, exactly. And and similar to that, on-call rosters, whether it's tied to, to harvest or just in general, mm. um, I've seen plenty of companies that will have a, an on-call roster phone that gets rotated through, say, all the parts interpreters once a week, uh, sorry, once a month, and you might do it for a week and get paid a, a little bit extra. Um, yeah, talk about that. Because a lot of the time, these negative things can actually be positive things for candidates because there's an inch, a chance to... Um, I suppose, work overtime, get paid extra bonuses, that sort of thing. So it's so important just to talk about it. I think the way we summed it up um, when putting this episode together was just anything beyond the um, regular nine to five, yeah, basically. Yeah, anything beyond nine to five. Although I think it's starting to switch to eight to four. Yeah. For office yeah. workers at least. I reckon it's now eight to four, but anyway. <laughs> <laughs> um, the other one, once again, very, very rarely spoken about, um, but something that is important, particularly once again in our industries because of how incestuous it all is but high turnover if there is high turnover over in the role explain why because um, a lot of the time high turnover can be just because the personalities in those roles haven't been um, good example is a, a high volume service center where it's just flat out and people haven't liked doing the extra hours outside of work um, you know they haven't been talked about told about all these extra irregularities um, but if you find the right person who has been told about those things that just wants overtime, just loves work, has no family or kids at home, just wants to earn as much money as they can, it can be great for them. So talking about why you've had the higher turnover is good because you can actually find out um, more about the candidate and where they sit into that and, you know, once again, decreases your likelihood of it, uh, you know, turning bad once you've actually hired someone. Yeah, that's right. I think um, speaking about that for an employer does two things. The first thing it does is it um, shows transparency mm. and um, it sort of shows, look, you know, I want to be honest with you. Um, we do have high turnover in this role and um, these are the reasons why. The other thing it does um, for the employer, it's a side effect for the employer, but mainly for the candidate, it shows them there's a challenge there. Yeah. And if the employer can put it into the right frame, then they can sort of say to them, look, this is a challenge. This is a tough role, um, but we want you to have all the info you possibly could have before taking it on. So when you do take it on, you're 100% certain you want to do it. And that, that in itself will decrease turnover because the person that um, will be taking on that role know, now knows about the challenge. They are, they've thought about it intensively and um, they'll be committed to the role as well. Um, so just being open about it and saying, mm. look, you know, this is what's going on and we would like you to help us manage manage the role better and improve the role, yep. um, that can be a huge plus. Yeah, and I think it's important on that note to um, when you're talking about why you've got high turnover, it's not the employer's perspective as to why they've got high turnover because all too often it'll be, oh, we've got high turnover because no one's been able to handle it. Uh, you actually have to do sit down with, with everyone that has resigned and find out, you know, why you're resigning, what are the reasons and actually document them and make sure you're trying to improve on that. So when you are talking to people, it's an objective opinion about why there's actually been high turnover and what is the business doing to accommodate that and improve on it in the future. Um, you know, yes, we know we've had high turnover in the past. 
um, you know, the hours have been too too much. So what we've decided to do now is we've started to implement an on-call roster where that will be um, the load will be shared around a little bit. Um, so we don't see that as a problem moving forward. Yeah, that's right. And I think the final one we uh, encourage people to talk about is general challenges mm-hmm. facing the business. So this can be anything from uh, losing a franchise, a bad reputation around town, uh, competition, you know, being open about, you know, you've got a management team that's inexperienced, those sort of things. Yeah, anything that you think might be or might become a rumour or could already be a rumour, um, particularly in regional towns, you know, how often do we see you talk to someone and they go, I'd never work for them because of, you know, they've got really high turnover in this role. Um, so you do have to be really self-aware and just hit them on the head in the interview and, and get on the front foot and talk about it because I guarantee that, um, yeah, if you're not, the, the rumours are already circulating out there anyway. So they're already doing you damage. So you need to be aware of them and try and improve on them as best you can. Yeah, that's right. And um, look, I think this might be a good point to finish up for the week. Um, Thank you very much for listening as per usual, and um, we'll see you again soon. Bye-bye. Thank you for listening to another episode of Adding Fuel to the Hire. If you have any questions or you'd like to hear us talk about a particular topic, why not send us an email at podcast at addingfueltothehire.com. If you like what we do and would like to support our podcast, please leave a review on your podcasting app of choice. For further information, please visit our website, addingfueltothehire.com.